Thanks, Pastor Nate. It's a blessing to come before you all today and present the word. Wow, it feels a lot different actually being up here now. But I'm super excited just today. Colossians 3, I was involved in Bible quizzing, as Pastor Nate stated. And Colossians was one of the, I believe it was the third book of the Bible I memorized. So I've had this passage in heart for over six years now. And just because you've memorized a passage of Scripture does not mean you ever learn it totally. And I was just amazed all the new things even the Lord opened my eyes to in the Word this week from Colossians chapter 3. And before we get started here, let's just go ahead and start with opening of the Word. So if you guys have your copy of God's Word, let's just stand together as we read this passage from Colossians 3 today. So Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now... You must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Lord, we just come before you as we open your word today, Lord, and I just thank you for this passage of your word. I just thank you for the calling that we have as Christ followers to be able to follow you with all of our hearts, soul, minds, and strength. And Lord, as we open this passage today, I acknowledge that none of us has the strength to walk in this passage apart from you. And so I just ask that your strength would flow through us. Lord, I just pray as I present the word this morning that you alone would be glorified, that you alone would be praised. And just use this mightily, Lord, speak to my heart, speak to the hearts of all that are here. And may we truly just be open to what you have to say from your word, Lord. I thank you for this precious gift we've been given. May we not take it for granted. And may we truly live life all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So as I started out with the Colossians 3, and just as it instantly starts off and says, since we've been raised with Christ, we're to set our hearts and minds on things above. I was really challenged this week just to ask myself a few questions. And the first question that just kind of hit me is, is Christ enough for me? Is Christ enough for me? Are my eyes truly fixed on him? And you know, I long for this to be reality in every aspect of my life. Yeah, brothers and sisters, it's hard. (laughs) We live in a world that screams for our attention. There's a million things out there, good and bad, that can distract my eyes and my heart from Christ and you as well. 
And in this world full of deception and lies and false philosophies, which we've talked about, the Colossians being captivated by these, these false philosophies, these identities that were not rooted in Christ, you know that where our call as Christ followers is to have our eyes locked in on Christ. And I love this illustration. I've used it before, some friends of mine. But if I'm to lock my eyes on that clock right there and I'm not to turn my focus and gaze from that, no matter where I go or what I do, my eyes are to be focused on that. I tell you, it's hard to keep your eyes fixed on one point because I got my hands that distract me. I see movement in the audience. And I tell you, I want to turn my eyes from that clock and see what's going on here, but I have to continue to keep my gaze focused there. That is the call we're to have as Christ followers. That is the thrust of this passage today. Eyes locked in on Christ no matter what's going on out here. Our eyes are to be fixed on him and him alone. And that's hard. <laughs> and so how do we do this? And I'm just so grateful for how Paul walks us through this passage and just gives us a taste and a view of what it looks like to truly be Christ followers who live with our eyes locked in on Christ. And so we start with this passage. I love how Paul starts off. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we realize how much power there is in that simple phrase there? That simple beginning sentence? What does raised with Christ mean? In Ephesians 2.6, we're told, God raised us up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, this reality is, as raised with Christ, we are new creations. We are saints, not sinners. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are chosen. We are dearly loved. We are heirs with Christ. We are the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God. We are conquerors by his power, God's special possessions, and victors in Christ. That is who we are in Christ. We have been raised with Christ, and that is a wonderful, awesome reality. And so often we skip over things like this. We've been raised with Christ for new creations. That is an awesome and incredible thing. We are new in him. I know I tell you guys, I walked in here today, I'll be honest, I was feeling pretty beat up. This week has been a hard, crazy week, and it just feels like I get dragged down time and time again. I want to be locked in on there, but somehow I get focused on all this. I just want to encourage you today, if you walked in feeling like that, if you are a Christ follower, all those things I just read, and I've got a bunch of references here that if we had the time, I could go through the day and show you from Scripture, that is who you are in Christ. You are forgiven. You are loved. Be encouraged. Yes, this life is difficult at times, and it seems like we constantly at times are just this fight, this battle we are constantly in. But I encourage you with Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me and in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Be encouraged. God is transforming you into his likeness day by day. Yes, there's difficulties. Yes, there's frustrations in the midst of all that. But the Lord is faithful. And don't forget who you are now that you have been raised with Christ. Be encouraged in that. Remind yourself that you've been raised with Christ. And I would be remiss to stop here and not consider something else, even as we, before we really dive in this text. Brothers and sisters, I have the confidence and peace that if I was to drop dead on the stage right now, I know where I'm going. February 7, 2002, Nathaniel, David, and Mervar crossed over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we can have that assurance. We can have the assurance of being saved. It seems so often in this world, you hear a lot of people say, well, I hope I'm saved. I hope I've been raised with Christ. I hope I'm a new creation. Brothers and sisters, we can have confidence from the word of God that we are saved. And I would challenge you today, are you saved? Brothers and sisters, is this reality in your life? I'd be remiss to think everyone in here is saved. And the gospel is so simple. I was three years old, almost four, when I accepted it. We've sinned. 
We've transgressed God's holy law. We've broken his commands, and that separates us from him. But God loved us so much, he sent his one and only son into this world to live the perfect life you and I could not live. He died on the cross for our sins, paying the price. And he rose again on the third day and is right now seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. And we're told in the scripture that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. It's that easy. If you have not made that decision, I implore you, I beseech you, do not leave here today without making that decision. Even for us who are saved, let us not forget this beautiful reality that we have been raised with Christ. Verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For you died. I'm going I'm to keep driving this point in. We are dead. We are new creations in Christ. God has raised us up with Christ. The power of the flesh in our lives has been broken. I felt pretty beat up coming in this morning, but God has broken that power of sin in my life. Sin no longer is mastery over me. We're told that in Romans. And yes, we do have this wrestle. This wrestle, I've heard it put away before. We have this wrestle against the shattered remnants of the flesh. We do have that constant daily struggle. But one day, glory be to God, we will be in heaven where we will no longer have that struggle. We will be freed from the very presence of sin. No more temptation, no more sin. We will be like Christ, for we shall see him as he is, Scripture tells us. So look forward to that day. Yes, we have difficulties down here, but it's not about us. As Pastor Nate so wonderfully put in his prayer, it's not about us. It's about Christ. And we are here to proclaim his name and to see others saved by his power and for his glory. Verses 5 to 14, I'm telling you, we're very convicting. As we prepare to walk through these verses here, Paul goes through this list of things that we are to put off and things that we are to put on as Christ followers. And this list here, it's easy to read through, but as I really dug into this, I'm reminded once again that as a Christ follower, you never stop growing. You never reach a point where you've arrived. We have to continually keep our eyes on him and draw ever closer to him. We are new creations. The old is gone. The new is here. So don't hold on to the old. Those things of the past, those sins that we clung to, we're told to let go of them. And so I'm just going to read through this first list in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And each of these lists, these things, are convicting. Sexual morality, men, we live, if I can talk to the men here for a moment, we live in a perverse society. We are weak in this area. We can see that in Scripture time and time again of all the men of God. Even David, a man after God's own heart, failed. And I'm reminded that we as men have to constantly fortify our hearts and our minds in this. We cannot walk in a perverse world without being rooted in this. This needs to be our guide. We need to be soaking ourselves, just fortifying our hearts and our minds in prayer and Scripture and time with the Lord. Impurity. This is just simple a word for uncleanness. Even talks about impure motives. Now it's hard. That's convicting. Impure motives. How often do I do the right thing, but my heart's all in it for myself? It's in a whole other place. Lust. It's this desire, this craving, this longing, this desire for that which is forbidden. Evil desires, desiring anything that is against God's holy nature. Greed. This one hurt, brothers and sisters. It's a desire to have more, a covetous desire to have more. Let's be honest, we live in a culture 
that is focused on the materialistic side of things of life, riches, wealth, and worldly gain. If I can be vulnerable here for a moment, yesterday we went to Johnny Appleseed as a family, and I had my heart set on getting a sword cane. I don't know what I'd do with one, but I've wanted a sword cane for as long as I remember. And they've had them there every year, and this year they did not have sword canes. So I came home, and I was needed to finish my sermon prep, but before I did that, I got online and started researching sword canes. And brothers and sisters, not that there's anything wrong with a sword cane, but how easy it is to start desiring and wanting more and to forget, as I asked at the beginning, is Christ enough? There's nothing wrong with nice stuff. There's nothing wrong with some of these things we desire at times, but is our focus Christ? Do we have, as this word greed talks about, a covetous desire for more? And then Paul concludes, all these things are idolatry. Let me just sum up idolatry for you all in one word. One word, sum of idolatry, self. Idolatry is just self. It is taking our eyes off Christ and getting them on ourselves. All my problems, all your problems start when we take our eyes off Christ. And the Lord just gave me a thought this week that was very convicting. And I'm definitely praying that the Lord would just allow me to let this sink into my heart and mind. And so I say this, believers can't sin when their eyes are on Christ. Believers can't sin when their eyes are on Christ. That is very convicting. Because how often at times do I, do I say my eyes are on Christ and I'm walking in ways that don't please him? If my eyes are locked on Christ, I can't sin. You can't have your eyes on the holy, eternal God and be in awe of his beauty and his goodness and sin. So my encouragement, this passage just continues to push it. We have to have our hearts and our minds set on things above. We're new creations. We don't even belong here anymore. Scripture tells us if we are saved, we are strangers and aliens in this world. We're just passing through. Eternity and home are right around the corner. We have been, as Ephesians 2.6 I referenced earlier, we have been raised with Christ in the heavenly realms. We don't belong here. Our hearts and our eyes are to be set on Christ and Christ alone. And Paul states in verse 7, you know, it's because of such, th- verse 6, excuse me, these things are what brings God's wrath. Sin is the reason God's wrath comes upon sinful people. And we see in Romans 1, people know truth. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This culture understands truth. You and I understand truth. We know there is a God. We know we are held accountable to him. It is a suppressing of the truth that we see in our culture. Praise God for verse 7. After going through a list like that, praise God for verse 7. You used, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. We have been set free in Christ. And in verse 8, Paul kind of takes a different turn here. So we kind of examine some of our inward motives and our actions. And in verse 8, he turns and says, But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do you see all those things mostly relate to our interactions with others? Do you catch that there in verse 8? Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Those things relate in our interactions with others. And so Paul takes us here and he says, how are we dealing with interactions with others? How are we interacting with others? Are we truly loving them with the love of Christ? Once again, remind us, our old self has been taken off. Our identity is in Christ. We've been pushing that a lot in Colossians, and I fully agree we need to be reminded of that. Our identity is in Christ. 
And we've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I stress that point once again because I cannot be reminded of truth enough. You are a new creation if you are in Christ. The old is gone, the new is here, and we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ day by day. Be encouraged in that. Because I know it's so easy to come to a passage like this, to application, and see how short we fall. How short we fall of the standard that God has called us to. But remember, we are being made into his likeness day by day. Be encouraged in that. In verse 11, Paul takes us another step further. He says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What Paul is simply stating there, he's saying social, economical, and religious background, they don't matter. Christ is our identity. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. The matter of here is Christ. Christ is our identity. In the church of Christ, we are not classified as Highland Gospel community. That We sit here. We're not classified by this title of music we sing, whatever. We are classified as Christ followers. We, our identity is Christ. And we talked about this earlier. It's so easy sometimes, we talk in other parts of Colossians, to make our identity elsewhere in this cause or in this ministry organization, our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. It's not your job. It's not how much money you make. It's not what part of town you live in, what car you drive, what your historical background is. It's Christ. Christ is our identity. And in a culture that is struggling with identity crisis, we as Christ followers have a solid firm, unchanging foundation and identity in Christ that weathers the storms of life. Praise God. So we just went through some of those take off, and now Paul moves into the put on. I think we, I loved how this was talked about a couple weeks ago. You know, we have to continue to fill ourselves with Christ. We talked about yoga. You know, that's a pouring out, but there's no filling. If we put off, we have to put in something. We have to fill up with something. We have that parable where Jesus talks about this man being having a demon driven out, but this demon wanders around and he comes back and this man still is unfilled and he refills them with even demons that are worse than him. We have to be filling ourselves with Christ. We must take off these things. We must put them off, but something has to fill that void and it must be Christ, his character, his word, and drawing closer to him. So let's look at this lesson, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, stop right there. Did you catch that? If you are in Christ, God just called you chosen and dearly loved. How often do we forget these things? Do we forget how much we are loved by Christ? And so often we get beat down, we're just feeling worthless, we're feeling like a failure, and we forget we are dearly loved by Almighty God, the one who spoke the stars in existence, the one who sustains all this, the reason you're drawing your next breath, the reason I'm alive, the reason you're alive, the reason that we have hope in the eternity of the future, the one who holds all things together, as Colossians 1 states, he loves you. Don't forget that, even as we walk through this application list. So verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I looked at that word, clothe yourselves. It literally means put on. Clothe yourselves. It literally means that in the Greek. Clothe yourselves with these character qualities. How am I doing in this area? How are you doing in this area? Would we consider ourselves to be literally clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Now, I'll be honest, of this entire list, though, verse 13 is what hit me the most. 
bear with each other and forgive each other. What grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This was very convicting to me this week. And notice here in this passage, this is to believers. Paul isn't talking about the world here. He's not talking about the lost. He's talking about our love right here. He's talking about our forgiveness right here. It starts out hard enough, right? Bear with each other. Oh, you know, I have to put up with your guys' preferences and, and just your difference and the fact you like this and I don't like I have to put up with that. I have to bear with that. He's not done there. Now we have to forgive each other. That's hard enough. I have to forgive when these preferences and these differences that we have rub me wrong. I have to forgive you now. And he doesn't stop there. We are to forgive as Christ forgave us. Do we recognize the power that is in that statement that we are to forgive as Christ forgave us? Brothers and sisters, I know that the lost world so often looks at us as the church of Christ. And they find it so unbelievable that a people who say they are saved by the one and only God, who loved them so much to send his son to die on their cross for their sins when they were his enemies, the thing they see so unbelievable is we have all these believers and we are so often focused on all these silly, petty things and we can't get along with each other. That makes absolutely no sense. If we are truly loved by Christ with the kind of love that he's given us, there should be that same love here. John 13, 34, Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. As I think of that challenge, forgive as the Lord forgave you, what can happen to us in this life from a fellow believer that's going to outweigh what Christ did for us? Open a family, you don't understand. You don't understand what this person did to me in the church. You don't, they just said this, they did this. What, what did Christ do? He's there hanging on the cross. The sinless son of God who did nothing to deserve this. The one who existed for eternity past, who has the angels in heaven constantly crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. He's hanging there on the cross, put there because of my sin and your sin. What does he say? Father, strike them all dead. No. It says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the forgiveness you and I have been shown. The least we can do is extend it to each other. And I'm not negating the pain at times we face. <laughs> We're still working on this sanctification thing as Christ followers. We're still working on it. God is still being faithful. But can we just forgive each other? Can we just let go and trust God? Can we just love as he's called us to love? My prayer for HGC is that we could be known as a fellowship of believers. No matter what happens, there's love here. doesn't matter who gets their feelings hurt. doesn't matter what's said, there's still love. And it doesn't negate the difficulty. It doesn't negate the difficulty of forgiveness. I, I believe me. When this merger happened a few years ago, I'll be honest with you guys. Be vulnerable here. I had the most horrible attitude you possibly could have had. Horrible attitude. I did a great job hiding it from all of you, but don't ask any of them how I felt. Um, <laughs> but I did. And I had all these lists of reasons why I was so right in my feelings and in my anger and frustration. I called it righteous anger. When it boiled all down, it goes right back to verse 5. Talking about that idolatry of self. So focus on me, my preferences, my wants, what I felt I needed, more than what all of you did. And praise God, the Lord's got me past that. But it's easy. I understand how difficult it is to forgive. I understand what it feels like to have your feelings hurt. To feel like you've been trampled upon by other believers. But brothers and sisters, forgive as the Lord 
forgave you. That is the call. And what freedom there is, there is to walk in that. In verse 14, Paul states, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Above all this, we are to put on love. Love for one another, as I referenced John 13, 34. And brothers and sisters, this is an extremely convicting kind of love, a love that is so deep that we can only have if Christ grants it to us. I know we read 1 Corinthians 13 a lot at weddings. Brothers and sisters, this isn't just the love that's to be kind of a husband and wife. This, is, this love in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love we're to have as believers for one another. This is Christ's love. Let's not stick that passage off to the side and say, oh, this is for marriage. No, this is, this is for all areas of life. Let me just read to you the kind of love. When Paul says over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, this is the kind of love he's talking about. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If you are anything like me, you are nowhere close to having that kind of love on a full-time basis. But praise God again that we are constantly being made and transformed into Christ's likeness day by day. And that is the kind of love we're called to have, and we can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. But praise God, we have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in each of us to walk this out. Verse 15, what an encouragement. What an encouragement. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. In this crazy world of uncertainty and chaos, where there's, there's no guarantee of anything, we have peace. We have the deep and lasting peace. John 14, 27, Jesus tells us, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We have peace, peace in the pain, in the hurt in the difficulty, in the confusion, in the exhaustion, in the suffering and uncertainty. We have a peace that doesn't depend on circumstances. We have a peace, listen to this, we have a peace that only Christ followers can have. No one else in the world but Christ followers have this deep and lasting and sure peace. No one. And then he states, and be thankful. Almost kind of like an afterthought, right? It just sounds like, and be thankful, but this is so key. I have a friend who likes to say, a, gar a grateful heart is a guarded heart. It's so easy to get so frustrated and get our eyes once again talking about that greed, right? That sword cane, wanting, desiring more than what I've got. And thankfulness really does guard your heart. Another illustration, uh, we do some mowing, me and my family, and we have this riding mower. And there's two wheels in the front of the mowing deck, and one of the wheels would just not turn. And so I would have every row I mow, I have to get up out of the mower, kick that wheel back into place, and then mow my next lane. Turn around, kick the wheel back in place. And you can see how that would probably, it started getting to me. I'm just like, mmm. As I got off one time to kick that wheel back in place, the Lord said, Nathaniel, 
just kind of laid on my heart, said, Nathaniel, aren't you glad you have the ability to get up and kick that wheel back in place? Nathaniel, aren't you grateful that you even have this mower and you don't have to push it, all of this grass? Aren't you thankful that you can walk there? Aren't you thankful you can see that wheel to put it back in place? Aren't you grateful you can hear all that's going on around you? Aren't you grateful that you're loved? Aren't you grateful you even have this job? Aren't you just thankful that I'm giving you breath right now? It is so easy to get discontent in this society. That's advertising, right? It's to make us discontent and what more. But we are so blessed. We are so blessed. What a blessing it is to even be here on a Sunday morning and just be able to come together around the word, around prayer, and just encourage one another and sing praises to one another. Be grateful. God has given us so much. We have eternity to look forward to. The little difficulties here, as Paul states, this is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory as in store for us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Be thankful. Be thankful. Let's not be the Israelites. Let's, let's, be, let's be content and thankful and grateful for all that our Lord has done. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. The challenge I hear in this, word, this verse right here where he talks about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need, as a fellowship, as Christians, as HGC, we need to be people of the word. This needs to be our basis in every area of life. This needs to be our foundation. We need to be in this constantly in a world of Colossians 2.8 deceptions, of false philosophies, human wisdom. We need to be rooted and grounded in this. I haven't taken it so far, not what some pastor says, not what a commentary says. We need to be rooted in this, the Word of God, not someone's opinion, not someone's interpretation. We need to be rooted in the Word. I trust the Holy Spirit to guide your heart to truth if you are truly open to the Word. I trust that. The Lord can do that. Let's be careful in our culture. We have all these great resources, and praise God for them. I took advantage of some of them in preparing for this sermon. Let's be careful that we stay people of the Word, that we are constantly teaching the pure truth of God's word. And in all sincerity, I could have just gotten up and read this passage and that could have been the sermon. But there is a blessing sometimes to hear from someone's heart. But in all sincerity, it's the word. It is the word. Let us be people of the word. And this final verse here, verse 17, what a challenge, a very challenging passage. What a conclusion this passage. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. All that I do and you do as a Christ follower should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. This life God has given each of us should be one giant thank you and praise to his great name. We live to his glory, his honor, his praise, and the exaltation of his great name in everything we do. That's a challenge. That is an immense challenge that, once again, we cannot accomplish apart from the Holy Spirit's power. But you know what's such an encouragement to me? What purpose there is in the Christian life. Did you hear that? We get to do all to the glory of God. In a world where people are struggling to find purpose and meaning, we get to do everything to his glory, his honor, and his praise. Where else in the world can you find eternal meaning in doing the dishes? Praise God, right? 
But seriously, we have eternal purpose. Everything can be done to his glory, his honor, his praise, the advancement of his kingdom. What a blessing that is. There is purpose and meaning in the life of a Christ follower. And no one else has that. There is no true eternal or purpose meaning anywhere outside the Christian life. And we get to do everything to the glory of God and be encouraged in that. You might say, Nathaniel, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I just, I just work this job. I just I flip burgers. Whatever that is, it can be done to the glory of God. And we have a privilege to do even the most menial task of the day to the praise of his name. There is so much purpose and so much meaning that everything, and that means everything that we do, is an opportunity to honor his name even the most simplest of tasks. And to be honest, it's the most simplest of tasks that sometimes really reveals most about our heart. This is easy. In all sincerity, it is easy to a degree and getting up and giving a sermon. It's easy to come up here and sound real spiritual and give us some application and say, let's go do this. It's a whole other thing to glorify Christ and that mower wheel's driving you nuts. <laughs> when all your menial tasks of the day just pile up, that is really when I have to test my heart and see how much I'm actually living these things, how much I've really put off and put on. And I will say that doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, it's not a label we slap on the things we do either. It's not a label that we take and just put it on. There's a reality, there's a deep-seated reality in our lives. Our identity is in Christ, and we're doing it all to his name. You can't rob banks in the name of Jesus, okay? Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, but there is a reality that there is an aspect of that, that it needs to be done to the glory of God truly and fully. It must be reality by the grace and power of God. You know, as we start to bring all this to a close, I mean, this is a convicting passage. There is so much putting off and putting on in this reality of our identity in Christ, what that looks like. We spent all this time talking about, you know, our identities in Christ. Here's the false philosophies we face in today's culture. Now here's where the rubber really meets the road. You know, my first takeaway I take from this passage is I just continue to reference throughout this. We need God desperately. This is impossible. None of us can live the Christ-centered life, the heavenly focus, locked in on Christ's life without God's power. We can't. We just don't have that ability. But praise God, we're not called to do it in our own strength. We are called to do it in the strength of and the power of the Holy Spirit, his power at work in us, submitting to him and trusting his power to flow through us to work in these things, eyes locked on him by his power. And let's remind ourselves too, this is not a list of things to check off. This is not a list so we can be these spiritual, godly-focused people that we just check off. This is done to the glory of God. We are his ambassadors and his representatives in this lost and dying world that desperately needs the light of our Savior. We are called to be that light and that salt in this dark and thirsty world to point them to the living water. That is a privilege. Yes, this is hard to walk out at times, but this is not about us. This is not about me being able to stand up and say, yes, I'm a heavenly focused Christ follower. This is to be about his glory and his praise. Our focus is to be Christ. We have to have that continual dying to self daily, that putting off and that putting on and doing all to the glory of God's name. Once again, that reference I started to begin the sermon with, eyes locked in on Christ, no matter what's going on, no matter where we're going, no matter what's happening around us, we need to have our eyes locked in on the King. And my encouragement too, 
there are going to be times, inevitably, that we are going to get our eyes off Christ. It happens. We're still working that sanctification thing, as I said. My encouragement, lock right back on. Don't start doing this. Oh, I, I took my eyes off Christ. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm just start beating yourself up. Lock them back in on Christ and keep pressing on. I like the illustration of a sword fight. If you get knocked down in a sword fight, you just don't lay there and go, oh, it's over. No, you get back up and you keep fighting. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again, Scripture tells us. When we get knocked down, let's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness and keep pressing on toward the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. I wanted to close today's service a little bit different than we normally do. I wanted to close this with a time of prayer. You know, I think sometimes we can hear a message like this, and at least for me personally, I can hear it go, yep, that's great, and walk out the door and not really pound any stakes in the ground of application. So what we're going to do this time, I just really would like to see us as a church body just spend some time in prayer. And so I'm going to challenge you. We went through all these lists of putting on and putting off. I want each of us to pick one or two items on this list that we know we need work, really need to work on. I know there's items in this list. Like I said, greed, that has been convicting to me this week. Forgiveness, those are the two things that come to my mind. I need to be less focused on the things of this world and more forgiving. I want each of us, from that list in 5 to 14, I want us each to pick one thing, just one thing that we are going to bring before the Lord in prayer this week to see his power flow through us. I'm going to take it a step further. Then I want, us, I want us in this time of prayer to share that with someone next to you. Whether that's a family member, a fellow friend here at HGC, we need accountability. And brothers and sisters, that's hard to do. It's hard sometimes to be honest with our family and our church family and say, hey, I just need prayer for this week. I see that the Lord is working in my life and I need to apply this in this area. But brothers and sisters, if we cannot as a church body pray here, in this place the Lord has given us to be safe and be encouraged and challenged, it's going to be hard to apply that out there. It needs to start here within our fellowship. So we're just going to spend five, to five minutes just in prayer and seeking the Lord's face together. Like I said, one thing. Find someone around you. Give them one thing from the list. Those lists. And let's pray with each other. And then let's follow up next week to see what God did in his power and in his working to the glory of his name. So find someone next to you. Like I said, the list. We're going to spend five minutes in prayer. It's a challenge. I know. It's a little awkward. But let's spend some time in prayer and just seek the Lord's face together to work his power in that one thing that we are going to choose from this list.